the history uh, between Christian and Jew is uh, interesting, to say the least. People are often confused by it. The, the two faiths are inextricably linked, Christianity having grown out of Judaism. And while many acknowledge that connection, not everyone wants to admit it. In the early days of our faith, um, the first persecuted the Christian were the Jews, a fact that many are not aware of or choose to forget. Many think only in terms of the Roman Colosseum when it comes to that early persecution. And unbelieving Gentiles did indeed take up that role when the Jews were no longer in a position to do us harm. The evil one, of course, uses whoever he can to attack the people of God wherever he can. I'm also sad to say that down through the years, some calling themselves Christian, turned the table of persecution, and in turning it, they tormented the Jew. They did so, however, in direct contradiction to the teaching of our Savior. There's a really interesting correlation that we discover if we look at our history for both the Jew and the Christian. The farther away from the Bible people get, while still calling themselves Christian or Jew, the more likely you will find them persecuting God's people, whether they're Jew or Gentile. And the reverse is also true. The more biblical we are as we live out our faith, the more likely we are to come to the aid of anyone who is hurting or being persecuted. In, in our nation, in our day, however, something really wonderful has been and still is occurring. You see, the staunchest supporters of the nation of Israel are not the Jews who live here, but surprising as that might be, rather it turns out to be the firmest supporters of Israel are evangelical Christians. And many Jews are returning the favor as they speak up on behalf of believers when progressives of our world try to silence them. I have to tell you, I take that as a sign of good things to come. And yet, even in our country, in our day, for all of the good that we can point to in our relationship with the Jews and their association with us, many people are still unsure about the connection between the two. I mean, we can trace that confusion back, all the way back to the beginnings of the Christian faith. And, and it goes a long way, I think, to explaining the convoluted history of the two faiths and how they related to one another. In fact, one of the great issues facing the early church was exactly this. People were confused about the relationship of the church and the Jewish people, many of whom, as we already knew, noted, were hostile to Christians. And yet it was clear, especially then, that Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, was Jewish. And Christianity grew out of Judaism. In fact, it was often referred to in those early days as a sect of the Jewish religion. And Christians themselves claimed Jesus was the fulfillment of the law and the Old Testament prophecies. But on the whole, the Jewish nation especially as represented in its religious and political institutions, rejected Jesus and the faith which he inspired. And those on the outside, well, this was quite confusing. 
wondered if Christians were right, how is it possible that the Jews couldn't see that? But if the Jews were right, how could so many people, both Jew and Gentile, get things so muddled? And as always, the enemy of humankind is glad to use division or controversy to drive people away from God, to keep them from seeking the truth, to, to offer them an excuse for not taking the claims of God seriously. It wasn't just those on the outside, whoever, who struggled with this Christian. Believers certainly did, and likely Jews did too. But for the believers, there, there was an added layer uh, to their dilemma. Not only did they have to wrestle with how they were to think about the Jews or understand the fact that they refused to come to Christ, but they also needed to know how were they to treat them. Now, now we have our marching orders, don't we? We are to love our neighbors even if our neighbors become our enemies. But there was, I think, an undercurrent in the Roman church, which I don't really detect anywhere else in the New Testament where I believe the Roman believers were tempted, at the very least tempted, to look down on the Jews for their failure to come to Christ. Now, that's not really surprising to us, is it? I mean, the people that are mistreated uh, are often are tempted to think badly about those who are mistreating them. The surprising thing is, is that we don't see more of it in the New Testament because in those days, it was the Jew that was persecuting the Christian. It really is reasonable, I think, to conclude after a careful reading of this letter, and it becomes clearer, I believe, in the latter portion of chapter 11, that Paul, in this letter, was heading off a kind of incipient anti-Semitism which, frankly, has always been lurking in the shadows of the church, and which, given a chance, if people let go of the word, takes hold, twisting the truth so that it's no longer recognized. Now, Paul has been dealing with this, among other things, throughout his letter. But his reasoning in this matter comes to a head in chapters 9 through 11, which we're taking a number of different Sundays to go through. Paul's argument here is subtle and it's complex because he's dealing with what uh, with reality and and somehow reality's never quite what we expect. It, 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 reality's always more multifaceted than simple. And so this means that we have our work cut out for us, that we have to pay close attention to what Paul is saying here. Paul is dealing with not just how individuals come to faith, but also how God chooses to advance his kingdom in our world. So in chapter 10, verses 1 through 16, which we looked at a couple of weeks ago, which is kind of the linchpin holding uh, chapters 9 through 11 together, Paul addressed how individuals were able to have a relationship with God. And that relationship comes by faith and by faith alone. The relationship with God has always, by the way, been by faith and faith alone. It has never been by works, ever. In our passage today, though, Paul is considering how God has chosen to advance his kingdom and our world, acknowledging how he did it in the past and telling us how he's doing it in our 
us how he will advance it in the future. And maybe also he hints at a detail which I am personally hoping for, which may not be, but which, as I said, I'm hoping for, about how God may accomplish that very thing in our future. So I want to ask you to join me now once again in Romans chapter 10, uh, beginning in verse 16, where we're going to travel through chapter 11 and verse 12. And of course, uh, they'll have the scriptures on the screen on either side of them. And what we learn in this passage is that a kind of great reversal has occurred. In days gone by, God had used the nation of Israel to advance his kingdom in the world. They were to represent him to the Gentiles. Israel was to be a kingdom of priests, and a priest's job is always to represent God to the people and people to God. That was God's plan for Israel. But a reversal has occurred. Now, in our day, God has chosen to use not a nation, but believers out of all nations to spread his truth. And also now, for the Gentile to believe to represent God to the Jews. Now, Paul tackles his subject by asking and answering a series of five questions, which we're going to look at in order. And he begins by setting the stage, rehearsing for us how things were at that time, which we've already stated, but which we now read about in verses 16 and 17, where Paul says, But not all the Israelites accepted the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. This was the situation. Not all the Israelites accepted the good news. They didn't all believe. They did not at all mix what they knew with faith. So remember in verses 1 through 16, um, they talk about um, about the good news. They tell us there that the person is saved by faith, not by works. We can never do enough. Here what we're being told is that it's in faith that we accept the word of God. So that's the situation. That, that was a reality which Paul was addressing. Not all the Jews responded in faith they did not all believe the good news. And having summarized that situation, Paul asks and he answers the first question of his in verse 18. But I ask, did they not hear? And he is referring to Israel, of course. Now, it would be reasonable for us to think that the Jews hadn't responded because maybe they just hadn't heard. That, however, is not the case. Uh, as Paul's answer to his own question uh, reveals, we read on, of course they did. <laughs> Paul says they heard, all Israel heard, because as Paul tells us, the creation declares it constantly. Look at the rest of verse 18. Their voice has gone out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. You know, Paul's doing something really interesting here, I think. He's quoting Psalm 19 and verse 4, which tells us 
that the Jews should have responded to the proclamation of the gospel. Yes, they did have the written word of God, and that's an advantage to them, as Paul said back in chapter 3. But that's not what Paul's pointing to here. They did not even need that to respond. The Gentiles only had the creation, and they were coming to Christ in faith when Christ was preached to them. Paul's purpose here is to tell us that all the Jews had heard enough they had heard enough and should have responded in faith because even the creation was declaring the glory of God in Jesus. Something else was going on. It wasn't just a matter of hearing. Which brings us to Paul's second question in verse 19, where Paul says, again, I ask, did the Israelites not understand? Now that too is a reasonable assumption, is it? Maybe um, the cause of Israel's failure to respond was that they did not understand. Paul's answer, however, reveals that the problem really wasn't one of understanding. It had more to do with the heart and the head. And he quotes the Old Testament uh, three different times to make his point. First, he, he quotes Moses, highlighting as he does so the truth that understanding was not the issue. And so we read in the rest of verse 19 first, Moses said, I will make you envious by those who are not a nation. I will make you angry by a nation that has no understanding. Moses is telling us that understanding is not the issue. Neither, by the way, was their status as a chosen people of God. See, God is going to use those who don't have Israel's level of insight. They didn't have the Old Testament. They didn't have Israel's favored position. He was going to use them to provoke Israel itself to want, to desire what the Gentiles had in Christ, but that Israel didn't have. And as we're going to see, they didn't have it because they did not it's a great reversal has occurred as tables are, are turned. And, and it wasn't a matter of what they knew. It, it wasn't a matter of them being the chosen people. And if that's the case, what was the issue? Well, the next quote tells us what really mattered in verse 20. And Isaiah boldly says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. You see, it's not a matter of understanding or status. It was about responding to God when God revealed himself. But let me ask you something. Don't we already know that God has been revealing himself to Israel in the creation? And on top of that, they had his word, didn't they? See, it's the next quote which exposes the problem for what it really is in verse 21. But concerning Israel, he says, all day long I have held out my hands to a, a disobedient and obstinate. You see, it wasn't about hearing the truth. It wasn't even about understanding it was about It wasn't about having a privileged position. It's about responding in faith to God when he reveals himself to you. The text tells us God was constantly reaching out to Israel, but they stubbornly refused to come. 
issues, relied on their knowledge and their position as God's chosen people, but they didn't heed God as he called to them, as he revealed himself to them. Which makes one wonder, doesn't it? What does that mean for the Jewish nation? And that brings us to Paul's next question in verse 1 of chapter 11. I ask them, did God now, that too is a reasonable uh, assumption, isn't it? I mean, that God, having reached out to the Jewish nation so faithfully and only to be stubbornly ignored by them, would reject them. And Paul, however, rejects that idea emphatically when he declares in verse 1 again, by no means. God did not reject his people. The reality is they rejected him. But even so, God remains faithful. And Paul goes on to offer uh, proof that God had not rejected his people. And the first thing he does is he points to himself as we read in the rest of verse 1. I am an Israelite myself and a descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin. See, Paul was a Jew, and he had come to faith in Christ. So obviously God had not rejected all the Jews. And then Paul tells us none of Israel's uh, response took God by surprise as we see in the beginning of verse 2. God did not reject his people whom he foreknew. You see, God foreknew them. He, he knew what they would do, but he chose them anyway. God doesn't change his mind. God did not reject his people, though many of them rejected him. This is really nothing when he came to Israel. It's true of all people, isn't it? Not everybody responds to God as he reveals himself today. We see it in Israel itself and its history as we continue reading. Don't you know what the scripture says in the passage about Elijah, how he appealed to God against Israel? Lord, they've killed your prophets and torn down your altars, and I'm the only one left, and they're trying to kill me. And what was God's answer to him? I have reserved for myself 7,000 who have not bowed and the knee to Baal. See, there were always some Jews who responded in faith to God. Paul did. They did in Elijah's day. Verse 5 tells us other Jews in Paul's day also responded. So, too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by the race. Verse 6 summarizes this for us. And if by grace then it cannot be based on works. If it were a grace, it would no longer be grace. You see, we, we come to God by grace, through faith. It's not by our works. It's not because we know so much. It's not because we're in some favored group. We come because God reveals himself, which is his act of grace, and we respond in faith. God does not reject us. He's not caught by surprise. He knows us beforehand. He knows who will reject him, and he still loved the world and sent his son. Still, he holds out his hand to all All Israel had heard the truth. The problem wasn't in their understanding. 
God would use them in the life of Israel to goad Israel into wanting what the Gentiles now possess. This great reversal has occurred. The fortunes of the Jewish nation and the Gentiles have been reversed. God did not reject his people, though he re they rejected him. Still, as it has always been, some came, some responded to God's grace through the name, which ought to make us wonder, shouldn't it? What comes from well, Paul's next question calls for a summary. It, it, it calls for a kind of disposition of the nation of Israel. And so verse 7, what then, Paul asks. Well, fill us in, Paul. What then? So he says, what the people of Israel sought so earnestly they did not obtain. The elect among them did, but others were hard. The elect, the chosen, those who responded in faith obtained God's promises. But the nation of Israel, which were God's chosen people, were hardened. Now I want you to understand what's happening here. Having hardened their hearts to God's long dream, they were now hardened further. Verses 8 and 10. As it is written, God gave them the spirit of stupor and eyes that could not see and ears that could not hear to this very day. And David says, May their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. May their eyes be darkened so they cannot see and their backs be met forever. That is the state of the Jewish nation as a nation. This great reversal is taking place. God is revealing himself to the world now through Gentile believers. He's revealing himself now to the Jewish nation through those same believers. And he is doing so in order to make them envious because he's not rejected his people. He longs for them to come to him. God is doing what he needs to do to reach the world for Christ, including the Jew, the world that he loved so much that he sent his son to God has done with Israel since the days of our Lord is similar to what he did in the Old Testament when he sent them into captivity. First when the Assyrians carried off the Israelites, and then later when the Babylonians conquered Judah. He hasn't rejected them. He's doing what he needs to do to reach them. doing what he's doing. He 
Gentiles, God's glory and grace is going to be declared to all. And what I want to do now is close with something. I'm almost reluctant to do it, but I'm going to. I want to close with something that I think could happen. Though I can't prove it. Not, I can't state it with any certainty. If it is true, it's only hinted A nation under God. 